What are the things, what are the things to which you and I and people like us are devoted? We're all devoted to something or some things. What are the things in your life, in my life, in the lives of people around us to which we are highly devoted? Came up with a few uh, this morning. Some people like John Taster are devoted to affordable housing. Some people are devoted to the environment and care for creation. Some people are devoted to public schools, some to helping the poor, some to equal rights for all people, some to restorative justice, some to a thriving economy. Some people are committed to the status quo, I've discovered, particularly in the church. Some people are devoted to their favorite professional sports teams. Some people are devoted to travel and entertainment. Some people are devoted to various hobbies. Some people are devoted to fashion. Some people aren't. (laughs) Some people are devoted to the church. Some people are devoted to their spouse or a child or their children or to the care of a loved one or a friend. Some people are devoted to their own success or to their reputations or to getting what they want. Some people are devoted to eating well to a healthy lifestyle, to going to the gym. Someone once said, I decided to stop calling the bathroom the John, and I renamed it the gym. And now every day I can say, in all honesty, I went to the gym this morning. (laughs) I resent that. You represent that. Some of us are devoted to uh, fitness and healthy lifestyles. Not all of us are. All of us are presumably devoted to something. We're devoted to a lot of different things and in a lot of different ways. This morning as we continue our study of the book of Colossians, the end of which we're nearing, I will let you know, we will read about something to which the Apostle Paul was devoted in his own life and in what he encouraged and asked of the church Uh, and early Christians with him. But before we do that, we're going to pray. Before we do that, though, I want to ask you, I have a favor to ask you. We've spent now more than four months, or it'll be more than four months by the time we're finished going through the book of Colossians, step at a time, study on Sunday morning. Uh, A couple of our life groups have committed to studying Colossians along with that, so those groups of people have been studying Colossians themselves. We've got a couple of learning labs going that have taken a verse or a passage out of Colossians 3 and made that their focus. Uh, Colossians has popped up in various ways through the memory verses and other things we have been talking about over these last four months. My question to you and what we would like your feedback on is, has this been helpful or not helpful? Has this been really good, sort of good, not so good, indifferent for you? What have you learned? Uh, How has this been? What are you learning? How has God spoken to you through this? How are you being challenged? How are you being comforted? Uh, What has God said? What is God saying to you through this study? Helping us know and understand this will be helpful as we move forward. So I would ask you to send me or to Terry Hudson, who's out of town this morning, but the chair of our discipleship team as an elder. Send us an email, write us a note, give us a call, stop by the church office, Terry's back in town in a couple of days. Stop by his house late one night and just pop in and say, hey, I'd love to talk about Colossians with you for a few minutes. And uh, he would really appreciate that. Probably not, but, but in some way, uh, we would be grateful if you would give us some feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, uh, to help us as we move forward. Our mission is to help people grow into fully devoted followers of Jesus. We want to be able to do that well and faithfully. 
Now let's pray. We ask again, God, that as we have uh, worshipped you and you have been present in that, and as we have prayed and you have been present in that, and as we have heard uh, about uh, what's happening in India, uh, you have been present in that, uh, stirring our hearts and stirring our minds. Open our hearts and our minds to your word now. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, they to be taken to heart. If my words deviate in any way from your word, may they be quickly forgotten. We pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. So picking up in Colossians where we left off last Sunday morning at chapter 4, now verse 2. Listen closely. This is the word of God. Paul writes, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Devote yourselves to prayer. And so Paul's winding down his letter. This is the beginning of his closing remarks, his final greetings. And he states in no uncertain terms, devote yourselves to prayer. And if you remember way back on June 16th when we began our study of Colossians, that very first sermon was about prayer because that is where Paul began his letter. And now he begins to wrap up this letter encouraging the Colossians to pray for him and just to pray in general as he himself was constantly a person of prayer. Paul began with prayer. He ends with prayer. Everything else in the middle in Colossians has been bathed in prayer. The great American preacher and theologian Jonathan Edwards once wrote, prayer is as natural an expression of faith as breathing is of life. Prayer is as natural of an expression of faith as breathing is of life. Do we pray as naturally as we breathe? Is prayer as much a part of our faith as breathing is of our physical lives? Or do we only pray before meals? Or do we only pray in times of crisis or fear or uncertainty? Or do we only pray with others? Is prayer in our lives limited to our time together on Sunday mornings? A pastor's family was invited to Thanksgiving dinner over at the Olson's home. Mrs. Olson was known around the church for her amazing cooking and her contributions to church potluck dinners. And so there was this great anticipation as everyone sat down around the dinner table, the spread providing a veritable, veritable feast already to people's eyes and noses and soon also their taste buds. When the pastor's youngest son, Peter, received his plate, he jumped in, began to eat. Immediately, the embarrassed pastor spoke quickly, Peter, wait until we've said grace. To which the five-year-old replied, I don't have to. To which his mother replied, you absolutely have to. Of course you do, Peter. We always say grace before eating at our house. To which Peter replied, yes, that's at our house. But this is Mrs. Olson's house and she knows how to cook. (laughs) Ouch. Some of us, uh, when, our, when we were young, our parents prayed this prayer for us, to us, in our presence before bed. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. What a terrible prayer. 
What an absolutely awful prayer to pray with a little kid in the dark before you walk out of the room. I don't know where that came from, but that's why kids say, uh, can you leave the light on? Our kids have said, since all four of them, since they were young, could you come check back in on me? Just to, you know, in the, to make sure I'm not dead. <laughs> Truly, prayer takes all kinds of different shapes, forms, sizes. There are prayers of praise, prayers of lament, prayers of hope, prayers of peace, prayers of reconciliation in the scriptures. It seems that everyone has a prayer except the Miami Dolphins, of course. They don't. A recent study showed that an astounding 48% of Americans self-reported that they prayed daily. And of those, literally 23% of them said they prayed to win the lottery. 13% of them prayed for their own teams to win. 7% of them prayed for a parking space, a good parking space. There's what's become known as the Serenity Prayer, which was really originally written by a Reformed or a.k.a. Presbyterian named Reinhold Niebuhr, who has been called the most influential American theologian of the 20th century. Borrowed by Alcoholics Anonymous and many others over the years, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference, the Serenity Prayer, as it's come to be known. A young, nun named, a young nun named Sister Martha was walking through the church's nave or sanctuary one New Year's Eve, and she saw the elderly priest, Father McMahon, in prayer before the altar. She was touched by his faithfulness and determined to be more diligent in her own prayer life. The next morning when she ran into Father McCann, she asked him what he had been praying about, to which he replied, oh, my usual. I've been praying the same prayer every New Year's Eve since I was ordained. It's a prayer for successful ministry. God, grant me the senility to forget the people I never liked anyway, the good fortune to run into the ones that I do, and the eyesight to tell the difference. <laughs> I've never had a week like that here. Not nor a year. What about the Apostle Paul? What did he pray? How did he pray? What did his prayers look like? Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer. We saw back on June 16th some of what Paul wrote about prayer, what Paul prayed at the beginning of his letter to the Colossians. What about here in chapter 4? Devote yourselves. Devote yourselves to prayer. Being watchful and thankful and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it as clear, it clearly as I should. Be wise in the ways you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Dev devote yourselves to prayer. As devoted as a person is to an issue or a hobby or another person, or a sports team, be at least that devoted to prayer, Paul says. And in praying as a part of prayer, be watchful. Other translations render the Greek text here, be vigilant, keep alert, pay attention, stay awake. Paul may have had in mind Jesus' disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is praying and his disciples fall asleep after he's told them multiple times, watch, pay attention, stay alert, stay awake. And with those words, Paul calls us not only to speak to God in prayer, but also to listen, listen to God in prayer. I've become increasingly comfortable over the last few years with prayer as silence, with silence as prayer, with prayer without words. 
with learning not just to speak to God in prayer, but to listen to God in prayer. And not only have I become more, incom- more comfortable with that silence, but I've found a greater and greater need for that silence in my own life. Not just to speak and to talk and to be a talking head and to tell God how it is or what I want or what I need or what I would like, but to listen. In the words of the great Christian existentialist Soren Kierkegaard, the function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. The function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. And so it would seem that listening might be at least as important as speaking. And be thankful. So wrote the Apostle Paul, from prison... From what may have been a dark, dank, depressing prison cell, from there Paul thanked God continually. And gratitude has this way of putting things into perspective. Gratitude sees the big picture. Gratitude is our ability to see the grace of God morning by morning. No matter what else greets us in the course of a day, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, no matter our circumstances. And gratitude not only delivers a person from self-absorption and self-pity, but also honors God and makes a person available to others and available to God. Be thankful. And then finally, Paul asks for prayer for himself and for Timothy, his friend and uh, partner in ministry and for others maybe as well. Pray for us too. But it's important to recognize What Paul does not ask for others to pray to God for on his behalf. Paul does not ask here for prayer for his own well-being. Or for some benefit for himself. Or that he'll get a job. He already had a calling. Or that he'd be acquitted in his trial. Or that he'd be let out of prison where he'd been placed for preaching the gospel. For telling people about the good news. For telling people what had happened to him. About the transformation that he'd undergone. Paul doesn't ask for any of those things. For safety for freedom, for blessing for himself. Paul's prayer was not about self-actualization, about becoming a certain kind of person, getting a certain thing. Nor was Paul's prayer, nor his request for prayer, hear about any of the many legitimate and valid prayers that we often pray and that we find in the scriptures, prayers of praise and lament, prayers for justice and deliverance. It's not wrong, of course. It's not wrong to pray for oneself or to ask God to take away the thorn in one's flesh or to ask God to heal a loved one or give one wisdom. Jesus is clear. He encouraged us to present our needs to God the Father. Give us this day our daily bread. Ask, seek, knock. In Jesus' own words, if you then being evil will know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him. And so Jesus is all about asking, and that includes asking for things for oneself or about one's own life. However, if we only pray for ourselves, we will never be formed into the image and likeness of Jesus who poured out his life for others. If we only pray for ourselves, our eyes will only ever be on ourselves and our needs and our troubles and our own wants, and we will never learn to love our neighbors in the way of Jesus. If we only pray for ourselves, we will miss out on the coming of God's kingdom in our midst for which we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Living myopically or with blinders on, we will not see all that God is doing, 
all that God intends to do in our lives, in our communities, in our church, in the world for his glory. We will miss out on the opportunity to partner with God in what God intends. And so Paul prays that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul asked the Colossians to pray for him, but not so much for his well-being, his benefit, or his blessing, but rather that God would open a door for Paul's message, the good message about Jesus, that Paul would speak well and effectively that the gospel might be heard and understood and received, which is why Paul is in chains. Imagine yourself, imagine myself in prison behind bars, in chains, awaiting trial. What would be the substance of your prayers and my prayers in such a situation? The prayers at the forefront of my mind, I think, would be for my well-being, for my safety, for my protection, for my quick and soon release, for my freedom. But we see Paul, what Paul prayed and what Paul asked others to pray, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly. The prolific Bible commentator William Barclay once wrote, when we pray for ourselves and when we pray for others, we should not ask for them or for ourselves release from a task, but rather strength to complete that task which has been given to us by God. Prayer should always be for power, and seldom for release. This is an innovative idea for me. There was in every cell of Paul's body a missional impulse. He was on a mission, he'd been given a commission about which there was a certain urgency, which is evident in verses five and six. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every prayer. Seize the day, seize the hour, seize the minute, seize the moment. Make the most of every one of our thoughts and our prayers. Sync them up with the Lord. Most of us have grown up in a Christianity and I would dare say a church that has lacked Paul's sense of urgency in making the most of every opportunity, that has lacked a missional impulse, that has lacked a love or a zeal for people who have not heard the gospel in places like India and San Mateo and Foster City and Belmont and Burlingame. We have lacked that missional impulse and that urgency of gospelizing of seeing God's kingdom come in people's lives. God the Father sent Jesus, Jesus sent his disciples, Jesus sent Paul, and then they sent and sent and sent others with a mission and a purpose to announce and demonstrate the present reality and the coming kingdom. And we are God's communication plan. We are plan A according to God's will for the carrying out of that message to other people, to our neighbors, to those in India. We are plan A. And towards such, Paul says, pray. As a starting point, as the starting point, pray. In the great words of the missionary E. Stanley Jones, who served decades in India, prayer is cooperation with God. 
It is the purest exercise of the faculties God has given us, an exercise that links those faculties with the maker to work out the intentions he had in mind in their creation. Prayer is aligning ourselves with the purposes of God. And the Apostle Paul implies, and as Stanley Jones states, God has invited us to cooperate with him. He has entrusted us with this partnership that begins in prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer, but not primarily for oneself. Not as most of us, not as I have most often prayed. Be watchful, Listen, head up, listen as much as you speak. Be thankful for God's goodness, power, grace, presence, mercy, and intentions. Gratitude is the beginning of the Christian life. And pray that, God's will, God, that God will open doors of communication. How often is that your daily prayer? And pray that you at yourself and others who are in Christ will have the resources and the words and the courage and the wisdom and the sincere warmth to speak God's good news in Jesus with clarity and with love. And it would seem that if we prayed such a daily prayer as we are devoted to prayer, that we would by God's grace almost naturally then, if that's our ongoing prayer, be wise in the way that we act toward outsiders making the most of every opportunity, letting our conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, that we may know how to answer everyone, that we're prepared when there's an opening, when there's a crack, when there's an opportunity, we easily step into it, led by the Spirit. Devote ourselves to prayer. Be watchful, listen. Be thankful, Ask God to open doors and ask God for opportunities. Ask God to help us speak clearly. All of us, everyone. Be wise in the way we act toward outsiders. And as much as we have a role in that, be wise and make the most of every opportunity. As we begin next Sunday, and you can grab one of those prayer booklets on the way out, as we begin next Sunday, praying during Diwali for people of the Hindu faith and religion to experience the light of God in Jesus Christ. Pray continually, be devoted to prayer, asking God to create opportunities to open doors and be ready for every opportunity should one present itself for you here as you're praying for the people of India there. Add into the people of India in our midst in our city, at your workplace. And as much as we begin to pray regularly and even daily in these ways ourselves and for ourselves, I believe and think about it, I think you will agree that God will begin to do things in our lives that God hasn't done before. When we place ourselves in a position of continually saying, What opportunities do you have for me? Open a door for me. I am listening. I am watching. I am paying attention. According to Paul's leading, I will be prepared to give a reason for the grace I have experienced to tell people and for that to be seasoned with salt. We're already devoted to a lot of things. You, me, in varying degrees, are devoted to a lot of things already. 
Our mission as a congregation is to honor God by helping people, and that people, those people are us, you, me, those outside and inside, one another, to help people become fully devoted followers of Jesus and being devoted in prayer is a part of that. We want to stay on task. And so I'm going to ask you this morning uh, to do something I don't normally ask in this way or encourage or invite, but I want to ask you for the next seven days to commit to praying in the way that Paul models and the way that Paul teaches and the way that Paul encourages and the way that Paul invites. I want to ask you, encourage you, invite you to pray these simple bullet points each day for the next seven days and see what God does in you and see what God does through you. So I'm going to close in prayer in just a moment. And weird revivalist, Baptist, whatever kind of thing. But I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And I'm going to close my eyes. I'm not looking at you. But as a physical response yourself and an intentional response, if you are willing, if you are interested, if you dare, while I'm praying, raise your hand and say just between you and God, yeah, count me in. For seven days, just seven days, for the next seven days, I will commit to praying in this way with these bullet points according to what we read in Colossians here. And see and wait and hope and expect and trust that God will do things in us and through us that his kingdom will come and that he will be glorified. May this be so. Let's pray. We are inspired, God, by your servant, by your slave, self-professed slave, bondservant, willing, eager, prisoner in Christ, the Apostle Paul, through whom you turned the world, the Middle East, distant lands, upside down, bringing about your upside down kingdom for the redemption of the world. We understand that you invite us, each and every one of us, and all of our weaknesses and shortcomings and insufficiencies and self-doubt and insecurity and fear to be a part of your mission enterprise in our communities in the world. Some of us, God, will raise our hands now and say, yes, count me in. I want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. I want to be a part of what you intend for my life. I want to be a part of this movement that sees love come into places where there's been darkness, light into darkness, love into hate. The redemption of a world that desperately needs redeeming. Count us in, count me in. Help us this week to pray. Help us this week to become. By your spirit and your power and grace, bring about what you will. We make ourselves available to you with hope and with joy in Christ the Lord. Amen.